I will just invite Abby up for the reading. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is, to, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed hard between the two. My desire is to depart and be one with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in my, the faith, so that me you may have the... So that in me you may have the ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. Let's come before the Lord in prayer and let's pray together. Father, we come before your throne this morning in amazement of your love and amazement of your holiness. We marvel at your grace that is freely given to us each day. Lord, we thank you that we are able to meet together now as your people and have fellowship with one another and sit under your word being preached and taught. Lord, we thank you that you have started a good work in us and have promised to finish that work. So we ask, Lord, that you continue to mold us, to shape us every single day to be more committed and competent Christ-like disciples. Lord, we know that there are Folk missing today from the congregation for many reasons, whether that be ill health, sickness. Lord, we ask that you pray, we pray and ask that you grant them peace. We, you grant them strength, Lord. We, we ask specifically today, Lord, for, the, for, for David and Anne, Lord, and, and, the, and the wider family, for, for Tracy and for Jack as they, as they take on all this this trouble, this suffering that they're currently enduring, Lord, I pray that you wrap your arms around that family, Lord. I pray that you grant them peace, that peace that passeth understanding, Lord, that only you can grant. Father, we continue to pray for Douglas and the family, Lord, as they continue to grieve the loss of Sybil. I do pray that, again, you wrap your arm around them. Grant them peace, Lord. Grant them strength and grant them confidence of the truth that we have in Christ. And Father, we pray for Graham today 
as he prepares the funerals for others in the church, Lord, for, for Campbell and for Betty. We pray for him as he prepares these things and the, and the toll that it might take on him, Lord. We pray for the families for these individuals too, that you come around them, Lord. Grant them comfort as they deal with their passing. Father, we know that we fall short of your glory every day. Even in this past week, we have sinned. We have disobeyed your word. We seem to constantly seek things on earth to satisfy us. But Father, help us realize that nothing else will satisfy and nothing else can satisfy but Christ. Lord, we do confess that we are sinners in desperate need of your grace. Lord, I pray that you guide us in this week in our living, in our actions, in our deeds, that we glorify you in all that we do. Forgive us of our sins and continue to shape us into humble messengers of your truth. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. You sent down to bear our sin on the cross, that through trusting in his name, we may spend eternity with you in paradise. Help us by your spirit to turn from unholiness and seek holiness. And Father, help us have soft hearts and open ears when hearing your word preached. Help us learn something new from this text, Lord. Whether it be familiar or unfamiliar, guide us in our worship and help us worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray for myself as I bring this word to your people. Take away any nerves and pride I may have, Lord, and knock it down and instead exchange it for glory for yourself. It's not me speaking, Lord, but simply your word. You speaking through me, through your wondrous, perfect, amazing word, Lord. So be with us now as we hear it preached. And we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Now, I know it may sound silly, but is my mic on? I think the last tw- two times I've preached here, I've realized in the live stream 20 minutes in that my mic's not on. So are we all good at the back? Yeah, I can't tell. That, that, that's good to know. Okay, good stuff. Well, I wonder today if you've ever come across someone in your life that is excessively positive. This is the type of person that you've just come out of an exam and you've flunked it. You've done absolute dreadful in this exam, and you're devastated. And this person seems to pop up every time over your shoulder and say some impossibly positive comment. (laughs) At least it wasn't four hours, eh? At least it's over now. And you've answered three questions, and two of them have been your name and the date on a 40-question exam. And this person is trying to look on the bright side. It's almost nauseating, isn't it? How can this person be so positive when my situation is so negative? Well, in the passage that we've heard read to us already, we see this positivity brilliantly exemplified in the Apostle Paul. Yet, ironically, he's not writing this letter to the Philippians from some affluent and joyous position. But instead, we see this positivity from Paul when he's actually in a Roman jail cell. He's in prison, awaiting trial that could possibly send him to his death. 
So just like any passage of the Bible, it's, it's important to note the context where we're in at the time of this writing. So the Philippian church was the first church Paul started in Europe. And the account of this is in Acts 16. If you have a chance to read that this week, I would do so. Now, Philippi was a city where many Roman war veterans would settle, making it a very proud place that was very loyal to the Roman regime. There was good agricultural land, making it a very good and appealing place to settle down. Now, in Acts 16, we read of Lydia, who was a seller of purple goods, and a Philippian jailer who were converted. And they were the start of this work in Philippi. And from there, a church was formed. And about 20 years later, Paul is writing to this church in a letter full of joy, encouragement, and instruction. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first title I've got for the first few verses is Paul is confident of his salvation despite his situation. Paul is confident of his salvation despite his situation. Read with me the first few verses. The second half of verse 18 reads, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now the question to be asked here is, how can a man rotting away in a jail cell be sure that he will be delivered? This seems like confidence personified from Paul here, doesn't it? His situation doesn't exactly look promising. He is in chains because of his loyalty to Jesus and his constant proclaiming of the gospel. And he is on trial and he's likely to be sentenced to death. So how can Paul say with confidence in verse 19, this will turn out for my deliverance? Paul's current situation is the equivalent of four foot ten skinny Jimmy squaring up to Mike Tyson, confident of a victory. And he can be confident for two reasons today. The first is found in verse 19. Read with me. He says, through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul does not rely on his own strength in his situation but instead relies on the prayers of the Philippian church as well as the Holy Spirit. What an example that is. How easy it is in our own lives is it to rely on our own strength when troubles and sufferings come along. We try to be self-sufficient. We try to build our foundations on the weak structures of our own capabilities and the things that this world offers instead of building on the strong and stable foundation we have in Jesus. Like I said, Paul is in jail. He's suffering, yet he finds joy in his suffering, knowing that he has fellow Christians praying for him and knowing that he has a savior in Jesus. So in this week ahead, friends, let's find joy in our suffering together. 
ask each other. What an opportunity to meet the first time meeting properly after a service. Ask each other how we can pray for one another. Let's strive together as a church in our sadness, in our suffering, even in our jubilation, wherever we may find ourselves in. We can do this with joy as we can look to Jesus who has redeemed us from our sin. Now, the second reason Paul can be confident in his deliverance is because he knows whether he gets this through this prison sentence, whether he gets through his awaiting trial, dead or alive, that he will be delivered no matter what. Read with me in verse 20. Paul writes, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul knows because of the solid assurance he has as a follower of Jesus, that even in the event of his likely death, Christ will still be glorified and magnified. If Paul lives on, Christ will be glorified because he'll continue to preach the gospel. He'll continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. And if he dies, his legacy will be a life of true devotion to Jesus. And he will begin eternity with his saviour. So friends, for Paul, even though the situation to us looks bleak and negative and pretty rotten, it's a win-win for him, no matter what the outcome. And Paul is reminding the Philippian believers to look to their own glorious future with this little section. Even though they may be persecuted, even though they may be ridiculed for their belief in Jesus, through their perseverance in faith, Jesus is glorified. Even in their death, Jesus is glorified. And they inherit the glorious promise of eternal life, which is promised to all who remain faithful to Christ. And we come on to the next verse, which is Paul's tagline for this section, which is just a marvelous verse for Christians to ingrain on their brain. It totally encapsulates everything he said so far that we've looked at. And it's in verse 21. Look with me. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's meditate on this verse for a moment, friends. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What other religion, what other belief can give a person so much confidence to write and to say these words? Paul's life is Christ. All that he does is for Christ, and all that he says and thinks is for Christ. His entire existence is wrapped up in Christ, in his witness, in his fellowship. It's all in and for Christ. One commentator writes, Life for the merchant may be wealth, for the slave, toil and suffering, for the philosopher, knowledge, for the soldier, fame, for the emperor, an empire. But for Paul, it was Christ. And friends, my question for you today, is that what defines your life? 
is to live Christ for you. Is that what defines you? Is that what sets you apart in this world? Or are we so often defined by other things? Money, relationships, status and a job, material possessions. Things that are folly. Things that cannot save us. But instead, when letting them define our lives, do the opposite and lead us away from Christ. Can we say like Paul, that not only to live is Christ, but to die is gain? Society tells us that suffering should be avoided at all costs. Death is a hopeless chasm of emptiness and life itself is meaningless. That's what people think. That's what society tells us, isn't it? Not only is our suffering for Jesus' sake a means of gospel advancement, as Paul actually writes earlier on in the letter to the Philippians, through the work of Christ on the cross and through his resurrection, we are promised a glorious eternal home. When we die, where we will be with Jesus forever, death is gain. To die is gain. Isn't this an immense truth, friends? Think of what our union with Jesus is now and how amazing Christ is now. You can't even begin to imagine what the glory is to what we can expect to come. Paul writes in the letter to the Romans in chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that is why we can face that mocking friend with joy. That friend who who laughs at you. That friend who, who scoffs at you because of your belief in Jesus. That's why we can stand firmly on the gospel in the presence of our co-workers and still rejoice. Just like the folks we watched earlier on these clips. Because we have a promise that stretches beyond our present and guarantees eternal security. Isn't that why Paul's rejoicing? And isn't that a reason for us to be rejoicing today? This positivity from Paul should transfer to us as the readers and hearers because the same truths that he knew so well are the same truths that apply to us today. Yes, it's tough to be laughed at by our peers for our faith in Christ. It's demoralizing. It's upsetting when that co-worker rolls their eyes when you even mention church on a Sunday. It hurts when that family member that you've been witnessing to simply rejects the gospel again and again. We feel personally attacked, don't we? We feel personally victimized. Yet, with the words of Paul here, we know by living lives that centralize Jesus, we can die knowing that we will spend eternity with him. Isn't that great? Isn't that cause for rejoicing? So in this week ahead, let's together apply this text. Let's live for Christ this week with all that we have and put him first in all that we do and rejoice in the truth together that we have an eternity to look forward to with Jesus. 
And you may find yourself asking, how can me, a mere person, a mere man, a mere woman, how can we glorify and magnify the Son of God? I was helpfully reminded in my preparation for this morning of the marvelous invention, which is the telescope. Now, the telescope is absolutely tiny in comparison to the stars, isn't it? Maybe a meter, two meters, compared to the huge, colossal stars in space. Yet that is the instrument used to bring them closer and to magnify them clearer, isn't it? And this is what the Christian life is to be for Jesus. A simple, non-impressive looking instrument that magnifies someone so fantastic in every circumstance. Just like Paul in a lonely prison cell, he can still glorify Jesus. So let's do this in our week ahead. Just like the telescope, which brings something so marvelous closer and clearer, let's do the same. Let's be telescopes in this week ahead. I bet no one's told you to be a telescope before. So my second and final point, if you're taking notes again, is Paul's anguish and heavenly perspective. Paul's anguish and heavenly perspective. We'll read from verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I always say that the Bible never shies away from raw, real human emotion and experience. It's laced with stories of real sorrow, pain, hurt, grieving, jubilation on a very real and relatable human scale. And here we have it with our author Paul, who is clearly in a position of real mental struggle. Read with me in verses 23 to 24, and it tells us exactly of his dilemma. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's hard pressed. He doesn't shy away from the abhorrent earthly condition he, found, he finds himself in. Remember when writing this letter, he's in a jail cell. He's chained up, awaiting a possible death sentence, bound in chains and suffering. You can see why his desire is to be with Christ. He is sure of his salvation and he looks heavenward and he sees the realm of complete deliverance. Instead of the fight that he's currently facing, he sees the feast. Instead of suffering, he sees everlasting joy. The appeal is strong. No wonder in verse 23, he states that departing this world uh, to be with Christ would be far better. 
However, as Paul looks heavenward, he also looks to his Philippian brothers and sisters and their need for Paul to continue in his earthly work. On one hand, he sees heaven and the place that he has been prepared for him as a loyal disciple of Christ. And on the other hand, he sees the opportunity for even more, even further gospel proclamation and even more chances to glorify Jesus. And Paul puts his personal preference aside and commits to remaining for the sake of the Philippians. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. For your, your progress and joy in the faith. Now don't be confused, friends. This isn't some hero moment where Paul will come riding on horseback into the city of Philippi with shining armor and a big long sword and a big shiny shield and come and save them from their struggle and suffering. Not at all. Paul says here that he will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This self-sacrificial service for his fellow Christian brothers and sisters should be a real example to us all today, friends. Paul loved these Philippians and he wanted to do all that he could to help them progress with joy in their faith of Christ. And my plea to you today, Christian, is to be filled with joy in your suffering, in your pain, in your grief. You have Jesus. In those moments of sorrow and sadness and loneliness, you can look upward and see him there who made an end to all your sin. It's so easy, isn't it, to plod along in the Christian life with such dullness. Come to church each week, maybe the odd prayer meeting, and just go about life as normal, with no real spring to our step, no real joy in our lives. Yet we see here in this passage, even in intense suffering, Paul can find joy in Christ and encourage the Philippian believers with that same joy. The Christian life is hard, friends. There's no denying that. It can be a slog. It can be a hardship. It can often be a struggle. Yet what joy it can bring if we live life with Paul's perspective. To live as Christ. To live as Christ and to die as gain. And what an encouragement this must have been for the church in Philippi. A new, relatively new, growing congregation who are being persecuted, who are being singled out for their belief, to know that the Apostle Paul has not given up on them, to know that he longs to see them if he gets released from prison, and he wants to get alongside them for their progress and joy in the faith. Paul is saying right now that the reason for his life is for the progress and joy in the faith of the Philippians. This should challenge our own attitude today. Can we say our lives exist for the progress and joy in the faith of the Ladywell Baptist Church congregation? And by showing the Philippian Christians his perspective, Paul is also providing for them an example to imitate 
He later writes in, in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 17, it starts of the verse saying, brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. This will be vital for the Philippians to do as their church continues to grow and progress over the years, even after Paul's death. They can see Paul's unwavering loyalty to the gospel, even in the most challenging of circumstances, in the most struggling situations. They can see his joy through his suffering, even while he's imprisoned at this time. And as the Philippians grow and progress in their walk with Christ, Paul's example will be solid ground as they themselves will face tough opposition from the outside and internal rivalries from the inside, which Paul writes about later in this letter. And the reason why Paul's example is one to imitate for the Philippians is because he himself imitates Christ. To live for Paul is Christ, as we read of. He is Christ-like in manner and action. So not only is Paul's example one for the Philippians, through the pages of God's word, it extends to us today. Like I said, let's be telescopes that magnify and glorify Jesus, just like Paul. We are not called to be excellent, profound speakers. We are not called to be flashy people that take all the attention. We are called as Christians to turn from sin and to magnify Jesus. To be walking and living signposts that point to him and useful telescopes that glorify him. No matter our suffering, no matter our situation, these things are to be done with joy. And it's perfectly summed up in our last verse today, in verse 26, when Paul says, read with me, so that in me you, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's whole character is to encourage others to glorify Jesus. So let's end this week be like Paul. Firstly, no matter our situation, be joyful and thankful that Christ can still be proclaimed. And finally, let's encourage one another and strive together here at our church to persevere and to help each other through prayer, just like Paul writes of in verse 20, and encouragement of one another to glorify our Savior more. Let's pray. And after the prayer, a small reflection video will play. Father, we thank you for this letter to the Philippians written by your servant Paul. Father, we thank you that we can learn from it. Father, we thank you that the challenge that it brings us, Lord, in our own lives. We see Paul's perspective we see for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. Father, help us in this week ahead to live for Christ, for our actions to be dictated and our actions to be revolved around Jesus, Lord, for our thoughts, our readings, Lord. Whatever we do in this week ahead, I pray that we do it for the glorification of the Son of God, for Jesus Christ, who has saved us, Lord, who has the power to save, 
who through his actions on the cross, through his life and through his death and resurrection, we have a glorious future to inherit. So Father, help us look heavenward like Paul, but also help us stay focused on the task here on earth to continue to proclaim and to glorify and to magnify Jesus in all that we do, despite our circumstances, Lord. And help us be filled with joy, Lord, as we do this. Because it's a joyous gospel. It's a glorious gospel to have. It's good news filled with joy. Help us be joyful people who show that emotion. So, Father, as our service comes to a close, I pray that you guide us in this week ahead. Help us mature us, Lord. Shape us into more competent messengers of your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.